thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 411. Today, AC and I are going to talk about the Microsoft Build 2021 recap, recorded live May the 28th, 2021. Good morning, AC. How are you? I'm doing good, CJ. This week has been, well, it's been a week with another Build conference, and uh, I know people got a lot of people got real excited about the stuff that was going on at Build this week, so I've been trying to keep up with the stuff that's coming out and the news that's coming out. But other than that, it's just same old, same old from my point of view. How about yourself? I am in sunny, dry, mostly flat, cloudless Utah at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) And it's quite a change. It's like a different planet. Oh, yeah. Isn't it crazy when you're like out in the desert? It's just... Yeah. Yeah. It's super dry and um, it's a whole different different world. So, yeah, we're... um, we're in Utah this week and next week. This week, I've been working from the house we've been we've rented here, and the kids have got school and stuff as well. But it's my last week with my current employer, Live Tiles. So I'm finishing up. In fact, today is my last day as we record this. <laughs> Congratulations, man! It's always nice Slow to. It, Thank you. It's like refreshing when you are leaving a company and just kind of like all that technical baggage and all that other stuff that you have with work, it's like, it's like cleaning out your garage. Exactly, exactly. It is bittersweet too for me though, right? I'm throwing some of my old things I had in a box. I'm throwing them out, right? uh, I'm walking away from, um, you know, what I built with Hyperfish and some of the team members that are still there and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, but it's good to have a clear out every once in a while, like you said. Clearing the garage is a good, or the garage, uh, as I would say, is a good, uh, good feeling. It's just like getting a new house, man. I mean, you like spend all this time like doing fixer uppers and little home improvement projects and all that stuff, and then you turn around, and you buy a new house, and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't care about that thing at all anymore. And a new one, let's focus on the new, the next thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, it's going to be good. It's um. So yeah, I'm in Utah. We've got this nice and warm. Plenty of dryness going on, and lots of hikes. We're going to the national parks on the weekend, starting from tomorrow, and. Into next week, I've got obviously that that off. I'm no uh, I'm no longer with the company, so I've got a lot more free time on my hands. And um, so we're going to go see some of the sites. It should be should be really good. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on I guess closing another chapter behind you and and yeah, being able to enjoy some nice time off. So you're just to refresh our our listeners. You don't have like plans beyond live tile slash hyperfish. You don't have plans beyond that right now, other than. Well, you're going to figure it out, but... I've got a lot to figure out. I am doing some contract work for a company, so um, I've got that on the cards. But I'm also sort of thinking, like, what do I want to do when I grow up, you know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's but good. It's, but it, it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to a new... Ch- it does feel like a chapter, mm-hmm. at the end of a chapter. So it's... Uh, but what's good, I guess, is the, the what comes next. What's the next chapter? Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be fun to watch. It'll be yeah. fun to watch. So congratulations to you and your family and enjoy thank this you. time in Utah. But thank you very much for carving out a little bit of time to spend with me and all of our listeners this week to um, talk about what's been up in the Microsoft cloud space, which I guess there's been, well, there's been stuff. Yeah, there's been stuff. I have tried to keep a little bit of an eye on what's been going on. I haven't kept a close eye on it, though. I, I will admit, like, this week's been super busy with finishing up and transitioning a bunch of work and things like that. And, you know, I've been keeping an eye on some of the announcements, but I haven't done any deep dive into a lot of them yet. So I've still got a bit of that to that to go. Although from from looking at it, there's no sort of blockbuster 
oh my God, I wish I had carved out Tuesday to look at this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing that slapped me across the face with it yet, but lots. it seems like lots of little things, but no sort of massive blowout features or new products or anything like that that we'll, um, we'll dive into. But um, we can talk more about that in a sec. Well, I mean, you kind of summed up a lot of the way I see it as well. So I guess that's a good enough transition. So why don't we go ahead and dive into our Microsoft Build 2021 recap. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. Back to the show. All right, so I'm curious, before we get started with this, there is some news here. And I know that you and I, you know, last week when we went into, the, we started up with the show, we talked a little bit about, a little bit of, I guess, a disappointment or a lack of excitement is probably a better way. I shouldn't say it's, it's a disappointment. It's more of a lack of excitement on what we had seen, like in the session catalog and, and stuff. Yeah, I've thought more about my perspective on it. You just shared that right just a minute ago too, like what you were saying. And I, I thought more about it and tried to be more, tried to look at it more from the perspective of this isn't my thing. Build isn't my conference in the sense that it's, I'm not the one that runs it. I'm not the one that makes the decisions on it and all that stuff. So I can't sit there and you know put the label on exactly like what, you know, why am I disappointed on it or why it doesn't give me the energy and instead kind of look at it from Microsoft's point of view. It's like, what are you trying to do? And I got to say that I still feel like confused or perplexed by what they're trying to do. To me, it really now feels, looking at the at the book of news, This is the, which is what I was really waiting for, because it's really the not so much just all the fluffy, like, you know, breakout sessions and customer meetings and stuff that they put on the session catalog. But the cool thing about the book of news is that's Microsoft saying, this is what we think is important that we want you to go look at. And so as I went through that, there's a handful of things that are cool. But like you said, there's nothing blockbuster. I guess there's one that's getting some press, but I'll come back to that in just a minute. The thing that kind of gets me is that Build is so, in the past, it was always, here's where you come to for Microsoft's premier developer conference where you're going to get all these big, great announcements of the latest and greatest stuff. But the challenge is, is that that world doesn't exist anymore because we're always seeing stuff getting released all the time from Azure, from Microsoft 365, just and everything just in general. And so now it build is almost like we want to keep doing the same thing that we used to do. But the problem is, is that what we do erodes what everyone used to go focus on build for or Ignite or the other big conference that they, that they do. Now we have two Ignites. And so to me, it's more like, Microsoft can't really figure out. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too, but they're not doing that in a very effective way. And they're just kind of holding on. So to me, it feels more like build isn't very, isn't all that interesting, except for here's a milestone to get the book of news. And aside from that, maybe I'll go watch a couple sessions. Maybe I'll go try and I'll go watch the keynote, but there's nothing here that gives me like this epic, like, wow, that's really cool. Other than uh, we just had to sit on a handful of announcements because a big conference was coming up and we had to have something to show. So we decided not to announce stuff that was ready a month or two or three ago. And then we're also going to retread some of those announcements as well. Yeah, I see pros and cons of it, right? Like I can see for some people who don't tune in to things going on in the ecosystem very often, like we do, that like a milestone of announcements like Build and like it Ignite means a lot more to them, right? Because they get to sort of catch up on what's been going on. So I could see it from that perspective being quite useful. But the other way to, you know, to your point, the the feeling of the show has totally changed, obviously. It's not really about technical education anymore. It's more about technical marketing and announcements that go with that. And um, 
And so, yeah, it is just really a recap of what's happened and a couple of new new bits and pieces sprinkled in. But, yeah, I, I'd honestly like to see the whole thing canned and rethought from a developer's perspective of what made Professional Developer Conference really good and what made the early iterations of Build really good and get it back into thinking about the developer rather than just the you know getting the news out. Yeah, the, I think that the thing that, you know, it's everyone saw Build as like, and Microsoft even built it as the premier developer conference, but now we're seeing so much stuff about here's how you can do stuff with Power Platform and here's how you can do stuff with, here's some of the things you can do with like with Microsoft Teams and with Microsoft 365, but a lot of it to me is not professional developer stuff. I mean, yeah, you could say, well, you're building stuff. I'm like going, yeah, but look, cards on the table, you know, no code, low code, that's not professional developer stuff. Like, oh no, we want to do that. Like that's great marketing and I get the buzz that's going on with it, but there are still, there's still, and I would suspect at least, for the foreseeable future, there's going to be a place for professional developers, for you know, what you and I would look at as the hardcore stuff, the people that I'm sure some, some people are looking at as like going, yeah, but you don't always need a hardcore developer. I'm like, I totally get it. And I like the fact that you know those end users are able to build their workflows with Microsoft Flow or build their reporting you know, dashboards with Power BI. That's awesome because I don't have to build that anymore. But I want to be able to still build like the more, this stuff where the complicated stuff comes in yeah, I'd like to be able to build that. And that's, the, that's where I'd like to go to find out you know, what, my, what tools are Microsoft giving me? Like some of the stuff that we'll talk about today that I am curious to see that stuff, that what is what things are going to be facilitating stuff for developers. Yeah, That's where I kind of would like for it to see it go, but I'm with you. I mean, I, I'm kind of at the point now where it's like, okay, build and ignite. We have two ignites. We got one in the spring. We got one in the fall. We got build, which is like early summer, late spring timeframe. And it's like, now, like, why don't we just call it the Microsoft Conference? Just leave it at that, the Microsoft Conference, and there's a spring, a summer, and a fall version of it done. And, I mean, that's it. That's where you want to go talk to vendors and stuff like that. And yeah, that's where you want to, maybe there's a couple big announcements. But, you know, I mean, to me, you know, it's a, here's one of the things that kind of pissed me off about Bill, is that in Satya's keynote, he's like, we're going to have a really big announcement coming out about Windows. I'm like, well, then what the hell are we doing here? Isn't that what this is? Isn't that what this conference is supposed to be all about? This is where you have those big announcements coming out. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we can dive into some of the highlights. How about that? That sounds good. We do have a link to the book of news that CJ and I are referring to. We will have that. We do have that in the show notes. So definitely go take a look at that. Make sure you sign up for our email email list because you get all these links that we're going to talk about straight into your inbox. You don't have to go hunt them down later. They're also up on the website as well. But why don't you t- kick us off with the very with that very first one that seemed to get? Let me say one more thing before we do this. This is one of the ways one of the ways I sit there and I can kind of put a bead on like how exciting was the conference and where's all the big news coming from. I go to Hacker News every day, and Hacker News is like the developer news site. Like, what's the big stuff going on? Like this past week, it was or the past couple of days, it was flooded with all the stuff going on with the massive debacle around something called Freenode and like the hijacking of a ton of Freenode chat things. If you don't know what that is, go search up Freenode, Hijack, LibraChat, and IRC, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But it is a, it's an open source thing that is like, it is a mess watching what's what's unfolding. But I did not see a single entry all week on Hacker News that came from Build for Microsoft. Wow, that's got to be a first. Well, in a long time, I suppose. That's telling me. You, you, I mean, in the little group that we're in, I'll look at it and go like, shit, they had five things on, on Hacker and the top 25 on the front page of Hacker News and no, all week, zero. Like, so anyway. Crazy. There was some interesting news, I guess, for enterprise developers, I would say. People, developers and engineers who work in in larger enterprises, I would say this this probably applies to them the most. But the work going on in Azure Kubernetes service continues, right? And AKS, so um, I'm a fan of AKS and I've used it for quite some time and it's great to see it progressing like this. But one of the big things that was announced at Build this past week, I had an inkling this was coming because I participated in a few focus groups and a few um, meetings with the product group asking very interestingly pointed questions about how interested I would be in this scenario. So this is kind of interesting. But um, it's nice to see it finally come to fruition because those conversations were over a year ago now. So, But anyway, what I'm talking about is the ability to bring AKS essentially to on-prem 
So the way Microsoft are doing this is through Azure Arc. So we've talked about Azure Arc before. That's essentially a way to manage your applications and things across, or sorry, I should say, not rather, rather than across, wherever they happen to run. So that could be running up in Azure or down in connected on-premises environments, right? And being able to sort of have a common process for managing and servicing those and things. And so now they're bringing the ability to, as I understand it, run AKS on with Azure Arc and with things like Azure Stack, for example, right? So you'd be able to have your Azure Stack infrastructure on-prem, run AKS, and then be able to run your applications either on-prem or in the cloud and sort of manage it all through Azure Arc, which uh, I think I'm getting that right. But that's um, that'll be interesting for a few, a few companies, I think, because you know, there's some situations where they want applications to run for on-prem for a variety of reasons still. And so being able to build your apps in, in, a, in one way, deploy them in one way, manage them in one way without having to sort of differentiate about where they run will be quite an, quite a nice advantage. I said this is for sort of, I think, for large enterprises because no small enterprise is getting Azure Stack, I don't think, anytime soon. But um, that's my personal take. But uh, I could be wrong about that. This is the one that it's funny when you talk to people at Microsoft. It's like when I was complaining a bit, or not complaining, but I was just lamenting. I guess about another way to say it about, eh, there's not a whole lot here this week. And everybody I talked to at Microsoft going, yeah, well, Azure Art, you know, running app services everywhere in Kubernetes, this is getting like a lot of buzz. I'm like, maybe in the echo chamber. <laughs> but outside, it's like nobody's really talking about it, which I, ha- I struggle a little bit to kind of understand this in terms of like what real, like, what the real benefit is. I mean, I, I understand the benefit. I understand what they've done. But I struggle a little bit with like going, you're making this into a really big deal and it doesn't really feel like it's that big of a deal. Like, okay, cool, but is it really that big? Is it? Did you really get, do we have a new wheel now? And it doesn't feel like that to me. The one thing that does, where this does kind of go in a direction that I do kind of like from a developer point of view is being able to build and test services, but not having to always have them up and running inside of Azure and having things running like in my own environment for like real scale, real kind of build test stuff. But in one sense, though, just I have to wonder like, well, how much of a configuration is going to be different locally from what's going to be running up in a real managed service? I mean, I've kind of come to accept that one of the biggest wants that I've had for so many years for for Azure services is that I wish that they would give us a containerized version of one of these services just so I can use it for testing or I can use it for like load testing or whatever of my app. I don't mean like load testing, like can Azure support this, but more or less like let me do like real in a, like real testing of my app in a really self-contained system yeah. without having to go through and to subscribe to Cosmos DB or something like that. But over time, I've kind of come, come to the conclusion of it's a cloud world. That's going to be more work than it's really the cost and the benefit to that isn't really there. Just screw it. I'm just going to spend a little bit more. And I'm, instead of spending money on tools, I'm spending money on consumption of services. And I just need to say, well, okay, I'm just shifting where my budget was being spent from over here to over here. And I'd rather be at that in that place. Yeah. One of the other things that goes along with this, though, that I think might be more interesting, I guess, for developers is there's a bunch of services that they're enabling to run on Azure Arc like Azure Web Apps, Functions, Logic Apps, Event Grid, the API Management Gateway services. And so you'll be able to run those things with Azure Arc, and those can be either run, my understanding is they can either be run on-prem through this Azure Arc-enabled Kubernetes deployment or up in the cloud as well. So you could run you know, Logic Apps, but on your own infrastructure on Azure Arc and with Kubernetes, which I think that's kind of cool because then developers can use the same building blocks and like properly the same building blocks, some of the more modern building blocks as well, services-type building blocks and run them anywhere. So is this the first step in getting rid of Azure Stack? I sort of see Azure Stack now as more, I guess they're heading more in the, term, in the way of certified hardware to run the stuff on. Like Stack seems to be like, you can buy Azure Stack, right? And it's a set of certified hardware that this stuff can all run on, on on-prem, and that it gives the right performance capabilities and the right features and 
all of that sort of stuff to run these things. So I think it's part of the puzzle, right? You've got Azure Stack, you've got Arc that runs on it to help run it, and you've got these services that are sort of enabled with Kubernetes that can run on that platform. I guess where I was going with that, it just kind of feels like the more I hear about this, the more I keep thinking Azure Stack, and it's like going, well, it sounds to me like you want to take the guts of Azure Stack out, throw it away, and have this be the thing that's really the, the guts of Azure Stack with Definitely. certified hardware in a box. So now it's like, yeah. you want your own Azure region private? Okay, cool, here's a container, like physically physical shipping container. We call this Azure Stack, and oh yeah, by the way, it's doing all this stuff. You want to do it yourself in your own home lab? Go for it, you can do it with the same stuff. Oh, I think you're 100% on point. I think that's totally on the money. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I read it too. It's interesting. Well, hey, as far as I know, as far as I've seen, the competition doesn't have something like this, so differentiation. Yeah, exactly. Another piece that we saw that new in the book of news that I thought was that was interesting, or at least that I liked seeing, was in the Azure API management space. They have now added as part of preview support native support for WebSocket APIs. So I like this because I know that you know Microsoft does have their own WebSocket stuff called SignalR. But WebSocket, WebSockets are, it's a standards-based thing. And it's neat to see this baked into the API management support right out of the box. So I like, I mean, just seeing more like standards-based stuff is always good for me. Nice. I've got one here on some announcements around Cosmos DB, one of my favorite Azure services at the moment. They are, honestly, I didn't think this was new. But there you go. I, maybe Am I dreaming? Maybe, I don't know. We'll see what you think. Azure Cosmos DB Serverless lets you use your Cosmos account in a consumption-based fashion, so you're only paying for what you use effectively. Excuse me. I thought this had been announced and was already a thing. This was announced as preview. It's GA at build. Uh, okay, right. So there's where I'm getting it, getting confused. So we have already talked about this, but it's but now you can actually go do it in production. How about that? <laughs> the big thing around Cosmos, the two things were that the um, expanded free tier and the serverless went from preview to GA. Those are the big. Those are the big thing. There are there are two preview things that they did talk about that were announced. I like it. You can choose between provision mode and serverless, right? So if you've got uh, very predictable performance requirements, then provisioned throughput mode might be more suitable. Right, where you can predict how much load you're going to have, and you can, and you can uh, pre-provision enough throughput or performance from your uh, from the service in terms of request units per second, which are all these magical things that nobody really understands. But um, you queries execute, or sort of, I would say for more unpredictable workloads, serverless might be the way to go, where it just sort of expands and contracts to what you need, and and you get build build for how much you use. Uh, it's perfect for me for a project that I'm starting that I'm embarking on. I mean, I was I saw serverless and I was like, oh, I really want to do this, but this is going in preview mode and see him go GA. I'm like, sweet. That'll save some money. <laughs> Request units are kind of weird. Like when you make a query, you can get back in the headers that come back from the request, you can see how much it costs you effectively in terms of request units. So that starts People look at it and be like, I don't understand what a request unit is like. Mm-hmm. How many is this going to take for this query? But you can figure that out by looking at the at the response of how many were consumed for that particular query. And then it starts making a bit more sense. But um, yeah, at least with serverless, you don't have to worry too much about that. Although you don't want really unoptimized queries because you're going to be using a lot more RUs, which are going to be more costly for consumption and things like that. Yeah, At least you get some visibility. You have the opportunity to go in one direction and say, well, do, do I need to switch over to, can I upsize my um, my meal to, you know, supersize fries or something <laughs> yeah. like that? 50 cents for a large? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, I started using a, a project that a friend of mine started that when I'm working with Gremlin, well, so with Node and, Grim, and using the Gremlin database, the Gremlin API, which is like the, the graph database API for Cosmos, He's also leveraging App Insights. And so every single query is logged to App Insights with the RUs that come back. And you can set thresholds and stuff. So you can actually inspect to go, you know, where are my where are queries too expensive? Do I want to, are these things that should be flagged as warnings and stuff? So it's nice that I have more visibility and to see that stuff instead mm, of just going like, cool. oh, here's how many RUs you're using. But yeah. there were two things that, were, that in the Cosmos DB, I don't know if you saw that were, that were added as preview support. One of them is even just a, a private preview. We have to be accepted into it. I don't know if you picked up on those, the the integrated cache and the partial document updates. No. So the the partial document updates is pretty cool. It allows you to modify just specific fields or properties within a document, 
without requiring a full document read and replace. So that's going to allow you to have smaller requests and smaller round trips and also reduced RUs because you're not doing this giant like pull down and pull back up of a fairly large document. Mm. The other one is the integrated cache. So if you have like read heavy workloads that you're where you're leveraging Cosmos, you can actually have an integrated cache inside your Azure Cosmos DB account, which keeps you from having to create your own like external caching layer with like say Redis outside of it to see like, should I go to the database or not? Yeah. This is introduced also as in preview is build on and build hourly for fixed uh, dedicated compute scenarios and just helps you reduce the number of requests that are hitting the operational database, which is also going to help you lower your costs. So by paying for cash, you're actually going to save money on your Cosmos expenses. It's one of those like, where's it going to fit? Yeah, gotcha. Those are cool. I like that. Yeah. I've got one here about Azure Active Directory and the ongoing saga of token expiration for <laughs> calling Microsoft Graph and other APIs like that. Mm. They've come out with a new feature called Continuous Access Evaluation, which I saw this in the book of news and I actually think this is pretty interesting because of the problems people have with authentication. You know, when you want to use Microsoft Graph, for example, now you call Azure Active Directory and you get your set of tokens, right? You, you authenticate and you, you get an um, access token and a refresh token. In a delegated access scenario, you get an access token and a refresh token, usually. And, um, and they expire, usually after an hour by default. Mm-hmm. Not guaranteed to be an hour. There've, there's been features in the past where, you've been at, where companies have been able to change that. And as an application developer, it's really hard to figure out, for example, how long your refresh tokens are valid for. There's no great documentation around it. It's been a bit of black magic in the past. So customers have struggled with that. People, developers have struggled with it. Customers have struggled with it. And one of their biggest complaints is that, you know, with all these modern security practices about where people are accessing information and applications from, there's, there's tools in Office 365 and in, in Azure AD things like conditional access policies that say, hey, when you're you know, in this part of the world, then apply these particular kinds of access policies. Mm-hmm. And one of the concerns with issuing these tokens is they get issued when you're in one security environment, but they last for a period of time. And so, for example, that might mean that your tokens can still be used and are, and are still valid, even though you now don't meet those conditional access requirements anymore. Mm. So they've introduced a new feature called continuous access evaluation, which effectively means at any time your tokens can become invalid. They're continually checked for meeting the criteria based on the security settings and conditional access policies and things that the company has set up. So this could mean that you're in the office, you start accessing an application, and when you join somebody else's network, maybe you've left the building and you're on some public Wi-Fi, even though you're within that hour window, your access is whacked and you can no longer no longer get access to things. Hmm. So you don't have that sort of period of time or, or lag between when they get issued and when they're ex- when they expire or are or are invalidated is probably a better term for that. So that's what conditional access evaluation does, but it's a it's it's optional and it's opt-in, I believe, for organizations. Do you know if when the tokens are expired because of like the conditional access stuff? Do you know or not conditional access, but the continuing evaluation? Do you know if they get like new error codes coming back? I believe that's the case, yeah. I believe in the headers you get a response that it's like a descriptive one. When I talked to the Azure AD team about this some time back and they they threw this idea past me and they were asking about it, I was like I said exactly that. I said, one of the biggest problems we have as developers is understanding why tokens are not refreshed or why they're not, you know, why something doesn't happen. And so at the time when I spoke to them, and this is obviously a little while back now, so things may have changed, there were response codes and detail included in the headers on the return that said um, why that was why that was or wasn't the case. So probably not enough detail to do what you want, but <laughs> But at least some detail. Yeah, it'd be enough to where I can actually provide some sort of some detail. Like today, you know, when you get a response back that the token, it can't give you a token and you're trying to do stuff headless, you can figure out if, you know, consent is required or if there's interaction required for step up like MFA or 2FA authentication for that one user. 
stuff like that would be would be nice to be able to see those cap- see those responses coming back to be able to provide the user like going nope sorry it didn't work you had to open a browser and go log in and it's like is this intentional was it expected you know what it just providing more context that's all uh, another thing that I saw here was uh, an update around Logic Apps now I know Microsoft has done a lot of updates to Logic Apps recently they've got a whole big like overhaul a bunch of new things that they've done. They've got a bunch of new hosting options, improved performance, developer workflows, et cetera. So because it's just become something that is so important to so many pieces of Azure these days. One of the things that they did is they added a new feature, which they call integration platform, or which for mission-critical enterprise applications, what this does is enables better consistency in integration with developer tools like Visual Studio, uh, sorry, Visual Studio Code, uh, et cetera. They also have a new pricing tier, a new standard pricing tier, and they added 4,000 additional actions to the consumption tier, which is going to allow users to pay per use. So a bunch of stuff that got added. Very nice. Very nice. I have one here about Teams, which for all of our developers out there building stuff with or looking to build stuff with Teams is quite a nice, uh, quite a nice addition. So the, they released the Microsoft Teams toolkit for Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio last year at Build but they have a new update for it. So there's some more goodies that have come out this time. First-class support for React and the SharePoint framework, ASP.NET Core Razor, sorry, Core Blazor frameworks, extending teams with tabs, bots, messaging extensions, rapid development loop, you know, basically hot reloading and fast recycle, all that sort of stuff. Simplified auth, CICD, improvements, command line interface for continuous integration, deployment and monitoring capabilities in the developer portal. So I guess, you know, Microsoft has this habit of trying to build toolkits to make it easier to build things for like for like Teams and for SharePoint and things like that, right? Lots more wizards and things like that have, have in the past. But often in the process, they sort of, they think that abstracting you away from what's really happening helps you, but often it just creates more problems. <laughs> Because you want to do something that's not quite on the rails, right? And you don't quite know how it works, or there's a problem, and you're not quite sure how to pick through what they've added on top of what you of what's possible. So sometimes these can be a bit of a blessing and a curse. It seems like from your facial expressions, you agree. <laughs> I say jury out. So I'm curious to see what the V2 of the Teams toolkit for Visual Studio Code how it evolved. So my understanding is that this is coming from the people who own it. My understanding was that it was going to be announced and shared at Build, but they didn't say this, but at least the impression that I walked away with was expect lots of changes throughout the summer going into Ignite. So I'm curious to see where... It's a pre-announcement. <laughs> but my expectation of is this, my pre, and, and I'm not getting this from their messaging, but ahead of this, my, my expectation was that we're going to ship a preview at Build, but get ready for us to respond to lots of feedback and make lots of changes to it throughout the summer going in, into the fall. Gotcha. That's good. Well, it is good, but I'm still curious to see where this goes. So there's two different angles in this for me. One with the tooling, I get the distinct feel very much like the first tooling, was that they have interviewed people at Microsoft who like to build stuff with Teams and what they think of as like the file new project experience and let's just build a simple little bot. But they don't look at like the real enterprise story of what real enterprise developers are building. And so to me, in the past, it's been it's been really lacking. And the Teams toolkit now just seems like they've made a bunch of changes to it and things are better than it was in the V1 of the toolkit. But... I don't think that they've gotten, they've shed that part of their baggage so far. Curious to see where they go. The other thing, though, that really gets under my skin about it, though, is with their their developer center they created, this special website. There's something about it that really rubs me the wrong way, specifically around they've got plans, at least I've seen plans, where they were going to have a way for you to manage the Azure AD apps that you have to create for a Teams app if you're like working with bots and stuff. And they're like, oh, we'll do all this through the Teams Dev Center. Like, you guys might want to take a second, go back a couple of years, and remember when we had three different Azure portals and ways to manage Azure apps, and one from Graph, one with V1 token, V2 tokens, and the overwhelming response was, cut this crap out, make one that does everything that we need. 
quit trying to oversimplify it. I remember that. My fear with where they're going with this whole thing with the with the team's development story is they're doing that exact same thing again. Is they're trying to dumb down and make teams development more power platformy kind of development when they're taking too much control out of my hands and making it harder for me to make certain changes because they're doing too much stuff for me. And again, they're turning Visual Studio Code into Visual Studio and or they're trying to treat it that way. And I think that you need to treat both those experiences very differently. I'm going to be interested to see over the next three to six months what the usage of the Yeoman Teams toolkit that is done by the community, where that goes, as well as where this Teams toolkit goes. I think you're only going to see Microsoft talking about the Teams toolkit, because that is also where they're trying to say, you want to build it with like native stuff, go for it. You want to use the SharePoint framework, we're going to show you how to, we're going to, we're going to support that as well inside this Teams toolkit and make a unified kind of dev experience. It just kind of seems to me like they're ignoring what the community does. And it's like, we, it only matters if we make it, so we better make it. And it just yeah. rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, gotcha. They say we want to meet developers where they are, but they don't doing it. That's the thing that kind of Concerns me. Oaks you about it, yeah. Jury's out. We'll see. I'll keep an eye on it. You know, man, you brought up. I had a I had a horrific flashbacks of when we had to figure out which portal to use to register Azure AD apps, and you know, you register an app, you'd be like, oh yeah, was that a V1 app or is that a V2 app, and where did I go to register? <laughs> I remember that. That was terrible, terrible. I was on a call recently where they were talking about like you know one of the challenges with Teams Dev is that when you build. I wouldn't call it a challenge, but it's just one of the aspects with Teams development is that whenever you can't test anything on localhost, you have to have a fully routable, secure URL that you can use. And so the tool that everyone, when they have this requirement, use is Ngrok. Yeah. The complaint is, well, yeah, but the subdomain changes every time and people kind of flip out about it. I'm like, it's a $5 license. Don't buy your freaking latte and just get a, a licensed copy of Ngrok or Microsoft. Go buy Ngrok and give it away for free. It's not a gigantic, that's one of the smallest acquisitions you'll make with one of the biggest impacts that you can have for developers. Go by Ngrok and call it, instead of N as in Nancy Grok, call it M as in Microsoft Grok. So M Grok and let us all have reserve subdomains. You know how there's the, the Microsoft 365 developer program, right? Yeah. That was a, that started off as the Office 365 development program that we kicked off when I was at, on the Office 365 team. And one of the things we did back then was we, you know, it's still to this day, you get the, the Office 365 developer tenant, right, that you can use. But back when we started it, we also gave away other tools as part of the bundle, right? Why not go do that with Ngrok? Why not go buy, you know, do some deal with Ngrok and go give us, I don't know, 200,000 licenses for Ngrok or 500,000 licenses or a million licenses for Ngrok. And um, we'll go bundle it into our developer program so that the people have the tools that they need to go and build Teams applications. That'd be nice. You're talking about if you went and bought a license of this yourself for free that you own is $60 a year for the basic version to get reserved subdomains. And I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff that you could do that you get as well, like the more expensive ones. But the basic one is if you spend $60 a year, this is the part that drove me crazy. I was listening to people like complain about like, you know, I've got to pass this cost on to my customers. I'm like, you can't figure out how to pass on $60 cost to your, a, a year to your customers. You need to raise your freaking rates. You have bigger problems if that's what your problem is. Yeah. I bet you got the latest iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Invest in your tools. Yeah. But Microsoft could go strike a deal with Ngrok, do a bulk purchase and get that to a fraction of the cost. But uh, They could put it on the corporate Amex. They could yeah. put it on the Microsoft corporate Amex. They could make that deal. I mean, that is, that is, that is not a lot of money. That is cheap. Yeah. Anyway. It's a good tool, though, actually. If you haven't used Ngrok and you want to do webhook development or anything like that, like Ngrok is the way to go. Totally. And the licensed version is even better. Definitely. I am a licensed user of it. For 60 bucks. Yeah. Gladly. I do have another one that I want to call out here uh, after we talked about Teams is another Azure one called the Azure Confidential Ledger. This is a new product that I thought was interesting. This is a tamper-proof register, register for storing sensitive data and record-keeping and auditing. It's in preview. It's the first ledger on the market that not only is tamper-proof and tamper-evident, but offers continually, it offers confidentiality through the trusted execution environment, the secure area of the main processor. So hmm. that's cool. It's another blockchain product. Which is funny. Did you see they ditched their blockchain service? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Or maybe I did it on the solo show. I can't remember. But it was one of our previous shows. We talked about ditching the blockchain service and now they've rebranded it and brought it back. 
called yeah. Azure Confidential Ledger. Yeah. I don't know if it's the exact same thing or not. I might be poo-pooing it too soon, but uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty funny. You want to finish us off here before we get on to some picks? I'm going to finish us off here with one more thing. We do have a link here for like in the Microsoft Teams about all the big role that they have around developer stuff. It's a very long list, and so I'm not going to enumerate through all of it. But there is one that I did want to highlight about Power Platform. This is part of the issue I have with Build is what this announcement is all about. But you now can embed Microsoft Power BI analytics reports inside of Jupyter Notebooks. If you aren't familiar with what Jupyter Notebooks are, you ought to go take a look at them because it effectively allows you to kind of build a report. Think like Markdown, but with code running in line in Markdown. So it's really slick. I mean, there's different Jupyter Notebooks for like running like Python right in line inside of your existing docs, C Sharp, whatever. But this is cool because you can have these reports in here like right in line embedded in your existing Markdown. Gotcha. Very nifty. I have to go check out those notebooks. I haven't seen those before. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, Jupyter Notebooks are cool. A buddy of mine that does like computer vision stuff with this with uh, uh, education. One of the things he offers is like if you want to run any of his code samples, if you pay for a certain level of his subscription, you get Jupyter Notebooks with every single demo that's already built out, and you just say go run the notebook, and it all runs in the Google Cloud, and just like it runs all the Python stuff, has everything installed. There's nothing for you to install. It's think of it kind of like Code Spaces, but like meshed into a document. A doc. Yeah, gotcha. Actually, one more thing before we go on to before we go into picks. If you're a Windows user and you're a dev, you probably or should have heard of the new Windows terminal application that's out for Windows that lets it's sort of a better command prompt, right? It's a better terminal for, for Windows. It's pretty nifty. It's actually quite nice. They they're heading in the right direction with it. But I saw an announcement that has come out they've they've got a new mode that's called Quake Mode in Windows Terminal. And so what Quake Mode does is automatically snaps the window to the top half of your monitor. Can't be horizontally resized, but can be vertically, can only be resized on the bottom window, right? So it snaps it up to the top of your monitor. So it's like the, remember in Quake, you used to have that sort of scrolling Mm -hmm. thing of text in a semi-transparent window almost? Yeah. Kind of like that. And it is removed from the Alt-Tab menu of Windows when you go Alt-Tab to tab through things. So it can kind of, I guess, disappear from your taskbar and from the Alt-Tab menu, things like that. Pretty sweet. Yeah, and then also the window behavior is set to use existing or use any existing. So they'll, oh, sorry, when, when it's set to use existing, it'll ignore the existence of the Quake window. So this is like for devs who want that sort of persistent terminal experience on one of their monitors. Like for me, it's pretty useful because I like to have it on a secondary monitor snapped. I like to have a terminal snapped up to the top without having to worry about moving it around or or losing or focusing on that window when I alt-tab, stuff like that. So this would be pretty sweet. That is slick. It's pretty common. I don't know if you've used this in other other terminals, but it's supported in a bunch of terminals for uh, for Mac OS and things like that. So yeah. Windows Terminal is... Um, coming along with its feature sets. Pretty nifty. That's pretty cool. That's enough of build news. Why don't we move on to talk about our picks? Sounds good. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC. Now I notice we've got a listener pick. We've heard from this listener a couple of times, not on the show, but they're very instrumental in the show. Would you like to lead us off with this one? <laughs> yes, this uh, this listener actually makes it very clear when we don't do something that we're the CJ and I don't do something that we don't we were supposed to do with the show to help everything kind of flow along. Because this is my wife, who is kind of like the manager of the show behind the scenes. It's like you didn't give me keywords for the episode. You didn't give me a description for the key for the episode. I'm like, oh shoot, my bad. I got to get to you. Yep. I got in trouble because I started using Edge or Trouble. Is not exactly Trouble, but you know what? Because uh, Meredith, no, you were right. <laughs> you, you started using Edge. You're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I started using Edge, and the copy paste functionality of Edge now, when you copy the URL from Edge and paste it, it actually pastes the title of the page that you are on and makes it a URL. That's the default paste behavior, mm-hmm. and you have to do a Control Shift V, I think, something or yeah, Control Shift V, I think it is to just paste the actual URL itself. And so Meredith, your wife, does all of our show notes, collates all of our show notes and does a lot of the publishing process. And I was making her life very difficult by posting 
these sort of abbreviated URLs, not abbreviated. They were friendly. They were like, they were what, friendly, uh, unf- yeah. unfurled URLs. Exactly, exactly. And so it made making the show notes harder anyway. Yeah. But she does a wonderful job uh, of making the show happen. So, and we're very grateful for her, for her doing it. So um, she actually sent us a pick this week. She did. So I've talked to you about this. I don't even, I don't know if I talk about it on the show. Actually, I'm wearing my t-shirt that kind of is to, oh, yeah. to associate with it. So they, my sister-in-law, so Meredith's sister, is she lives in St. Petersburg, Florida, and her and her partner are sailing. They quit their jobs. I guess they're still working like part-time while they're doing this, but they have sailed south from St. Petersburg, Florida, on the west coast of Florida, all the way south around the, the southern tip of Florida, and they're sailing up the east coast of the United States, up to the Nantucket, which is kind of like the greater Boston, uh, Massachusetts area. And then they're going to turn around, they're going to come all the way back. And so, but one of the cool things about what they're doing is her partner is a videographer and was like into like TV production and all that stuff. They are recording and documenting their entire journey with lots of like episodes that they're publishing on YouTube and on Facebook. The name of their boat is called Good Stories because my sister-in-law's last name is Goodrum. So it's actually Good Rum Stories. Oh, right. There you go. They're sharing their entire trip. There's some funny stuff on there. There's some scary stuff. It's great getting a... Getting updates on this. So her pick is their YouTube channel and their Facebook page that they've set up, which is called Two Women Sailing. And it's that's so cool. I'm not a sailor, but man, I've got so much respect for what they're doing now. I've I've learned learned and appreciated a lot. And it's pretty cool. They're on the they're off the coast of North Carolina right now. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. We've got friends that that left Seattle, I think, six years ago now, maybe seven years ago. Gosh, I've lose track in their catamaran and they've sailed the entire way around the world. They've taken their sweet, pretty time doing it because they've seen the world in the process, right? And they've made it all the way back to the west coast of the States. And now they're, I think they're back over. They've headed somewhere over west in the Pacific to some islands or something like that at the moment. But I've been following them. It's such a great adventure, amazing. And they've done it with two kids that were pretty small. They homeschooled them on the boat, the whole lot. And um, pretty wild. So yeah, epic adventures on a yacht. Sounds fun. This has been a lot of cool. They had like a couple of issues have happened. They had one of their sales tour, I think, oh, yeah. two or three days ago. Ouch. So like we were joking around, like, you know, how do you deal with that? And she's like, you know, we've, we were, it's an old sale. We're not really surprised that it tore. We have another, the other one is, is new. It's, I can't remember which one it is, but I think it's the back sale on their boat. And someone, one of the people in the family jumped in and they're like, so what does that mean? What's it like when it rips a sail? I'm like, I just imagine like Sarah, like scampering up the mast, like trying to go through and hold it together. Like when you tear your pants in a meeting and it's like, oh, I can't go. And you like put your hands over your pants when you tear your pants. Right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Makes the same sound. Yeah. So anyway, there it's been, it's been fun watching it. Yeah. We'll put the links in the show notes to go, go follow them on uh, YouTube and Facebook and follow their epic sailing adventure. That's cool. It definitely is. Definitely is. How about you? What's your pick this week? Yeah, so I've got a post. Stack Overflow have a blog called The Overflow. And um, this week, they've been, well, they've been doing a series about SpaceX and the software that runs essentially SpaceX. And so they talk about this week, it's, it's entitled, uh, or last week, Building the Software That Helps Build SpaceX. So they talk a lot about building the systems and the the services and everything around the supply chain, manufacturing, finance, and inventory process of how you build rockets, build and launch rockets. And it's just really interesting to get a glimpse inside an operation like that and what software they need to develop. Because, you know, it's not like you can buy off-the-shelf software specifically tailored to the rocket manufacturing industry, right? And so they have very specific things they need. And they talk about their journey. And it's interesting because they're a Microsoft shop. Mm-hmm. They build a lot with you know, ASP.NET. And you know, they used to build a lot of things with ASP.NET web forms and stuff. And now they're moving to sort of more of a front-end, back-end model and with JavaScript frameworks and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's pretty cool to follow. This was a cool article. I've seen this one. And it's, uh, it's so interesting to hear like, you know, what, when, you're building, like, when you're building software for a very specialized business, a very unique business. And so you're not going to see like, reaching out to all your competitors and like, let's go to a conference. Let's find out what everybody else is using. Like there are, yeah, there's like four of you. (laughs) 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 Yep, exactly. So they talk about how, you know, Starship has changed what they need to deliver and how Starlink, you know, the, the satellite stuff has also changed what they need to deliver. So it's been pretty interesting to follow. It really is. 
Yeah, it's been cool. How about you? What have you got for us this week? I'm going very trivial and very fun and something that is not actually very secure, but it's called, you know, CAPTCHA is kind of boring and, you know, the Google's done the thing with all the little pictures and you got how, you know, pick the pictures with all the stoplights in them and count how many dogs are peeing on hydrants. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I love the one that's like, it's just a picture of somebody's code and it goes, click all the boxes with bugs in it. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Yeah, it's like, oh, everything's there except for the one that's just a blank square. Nice. This one's great. This one is someone who had some fun and they created something called Doom Capture. And so now when you start Doom Capture, it shows there's four enemies that will pop up in like the old school Doom video game. And you've got to shoot all four of them. You got to kill all four of them before you go on to the next next step. Oh my gosh, I just played it. (laughs) Did you pass? That is so cool. Yes. Yeah. This was fun. Awesome. I've just, yeah, I've just shot that. It's like the original graphics of Doom. That's fantastic. So I went to go, I went to Hacker News this week to go find some, you know, what's what's big with build. And this is what I found and all the free node stuff. So I didn't walk away empty handed at least. (laughs) That is fantastic. That's so fun. It's like a little mini, mini Doom game that you have to shoot the baddies to, uh, to move on. As an animated GIF. And back then it was stressing out my, my tower. Wow. Yeah. Doom is... I came across somebody who'd done Doom in a browser. And so you can play like... I think it was the first level of Doom completely in in a browser. And yeah, my fans started running still pretty... You know, machines started running pretty hot. But uh, that's incredible now. You know, I remember playing Doom. I th- no, no, it was Duke Nukem. Remember mm, Duke Nukem? That's right. Yep. I remember playing for the first time, me and a friend, another a, a guy called Jeff in Wellington in New Zealand, and we connected two computers together over a serial connection to mm. play Duke Nukem. Networked. Networked, I should say, in parentheses. <laughs> in quotes. Because, because uh, or in quotes, because it's, uh, yeah, serial networking. Man, that takes me back. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, awesome. Well, good week, I see. We've got some build news, got some good picks and things. I will be dialing in from sunny Utah again next week where we will catch everybody next week and hope you have a good week. I will do. And you have fun uh, on your on your vacation in the American South and the American West. You're already in the West. In the desert. How's that? Have fun in the desert. <laughs> yeah, it's more, more east and in the middle than I've been other than just, you know, going to various cities on airplanes. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of the scenery. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, man. All right. Take care. Later, man. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.